With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry with you once again. Excited to talk some more college football, as we always do. Uh, Before we jump in, um, I will say this at the end of the show also, but um, it's a weird time in America, right? So just hope everyone is staying safe, staying healthy, and, um, you know, really hope that uh, you're doing everything you can to to live your best life mentally and physically. And um, if if you ever need anybody to talk to, feel free to reach out to either one of us on Twitter and we'll certainly do our best. Um, But with that, we'll jump into the football talk, what everybody probably came here for. Today, we are talking Southern Miss Golden Eagles football with Mr. Patrick McGee. He covers that program for the Sun Herald down in beautiful Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Uh, You can also follow his uh, high school coverage at Coast Coverage on Twitter. Um, But Patrick, can't thank you enough for your time, man. Excited to jump into what's going on with Jay Hobson's team. Yeah, uh, it's been so long since uh, I really saw Southern Miss practice or line up for a game. I mean, they, they their bowl game was really late back on, on January 4th, but here we are six months later. Southern Miss didn't have a spring. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a team that's going to look fairly similar to the one from the year before, uh, from 2019. Uh, you lost to Quez Watkins, uh, who was taken in the draft by the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a big piece of your offense there at receiver. Uh, but most of the main pieces are still in place there on offense, aside from maybe uh, Drake Dorbeck at left tackle who graduated. He's signed the free agent deal with the NFL. Uh, but J- Jack Abraham is your quarterback. Uh, it's you know you've got to change the offensive coordinator. Uh, 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 you got Buster Faulkner. He's moved on to to Georgia as a member of the staff there. But uh, and you've got uh, a, a new offensive coordinator that's moved over from uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Excuse me, Louisiana Monroe, and he's going to bring in a, a more of a kind of a, a a look at you know wants to run the ball a little bit more. But Matt Cubic is a guy that had a fair amount of success in Louisiana Monroe. So really, the the goal for Southern Miss going into this season is just really dra- dramatically improving on the ground. Uh, they've shown they can throw the ball, but uh, really not having much of a rushing ta- attack that's uh, put a lot of pressure on Jack Abraham to produce and has led to some interceptions and some really kind of inconsistent play, but. Uh, everybody knows Southern Miss generally is going to play defense. So uh, really kind of going in, that's the challenge. You got a new uh, offensive coordinator, but you didn't really have a spring at all uh, to really help have him implement his new program. So that'll be the challenge going into the fall. You mentioned Kez Watkins and continually over the last couple of years, Eric and I have just been continually amazed by what he was able to do at the college level. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on what he can accomplish at the pro level as he moves on to the NFL? Uh, he's he's going to have to maybe get a little bit stronger. Uh, I mean, he's a decent sized guy, you know, six one, uh, you know, 195 pounds, you know, 200 pounds, but they'll probably ask him to add some strength, but speed wise, I mean, he's, he'll, you know, he'll immediately be one of the faster guys on the Eagles. He ran one of the better forties there at the NFL combine, uh, great hand, 
really can kind of go up and get it, but he'll be working against much bigger defensive backs in the NFL. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Quez Watkins will actually have a chance to pitch in a little bit early. Uh, it'll, you know, it may be a little bit of a challenge for all rookies to get on the field early this season, considering the challenges uh, that that have been, uh, you know, no really off-season program. So he's going to have a lot of work to do. But Quez Watkins in the NFL, I think he's got a guy got a chance to hang around for a while and play and play a good bit. Good to know. And you mentioned Jack Abraham coming back. I think for me personally, when I watch him play, one of the biggest issues for him and for the Southern Miss offense in general has been uh, consistency. Either they look like they can compete with anybody in college football or they look, you know, like significantly not that. (laughs) Um, So what are your kind of perceptions of what this offense is going to be like heading into 2020? Yeah, like that, Matt Kubik is a new offensive coordinator. And uh, at Louisiana Monroe, he ran a system that had a, a quarterback that could really kind of take off and run with it, a better athlete. And Abraham's not a terrible athlete, but he's not a runner. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if there's a Tate Watley, uh, he, he'll be entering his junior year this season. Excuse me, I think I guess he's a redshirt sophomore because he had a chance to sit out the majority last season now. But uh, he's a better athlete. Maybe they'll mix him in a little bit. They did a little bit of that late in the – uh, 2018 season uh, it you know for Abraham to succeed though I mean he's just got to get consistent protection up front and that comes down to being able to run the ball better uh, Southern Miss has been you know it's been painful to watch at times uh, the way they've tried to run the ball and I, I don't have a great answer on why they've struggled the offensive line has got adequate personnel I think the scheme just hasn't worked well and the running back position has been fairly mediocre uh, but I think they've recruited well there in the offseason they brought in they're bringing in a JUCO uh, running back out at Ragsdale out of Heinz Community College outside of Jackson. And he's a guy that had a late offer from Tennessee. Uh, he was pretty well regarded. So maybe they bring him in and some of the younger guys move up. If they can run the ball better, uh, that can make all the difference in the world for Southern Miss because that takes all the pressure off of Abraham to where it's all on his shoulders. And I think that's been the problem, especially late in the season, uh, that he's just a little bit banged up and everything's been put on him to, to win football games. So uh, they're hoping that's not the case this season. You mentioned some of these younger guys coming in who are going to have to make a significant impact right off the bat. Who are some of those names that people who aren't, you know, as embedded in Southern Miss football as you should know before they uh, start really paying attention to this team this season? Well, I, I don't think really in terms of like, now I mentioned Ragsdale, uh, the running back out of Chico, he's got a chance to play right away. Uh, but in terms of like first year guys coming in and playing, I don't see, I don't think we'll see that much this year. Uh, just simply because it's a it's a deal to where they have so much returning experience and really some experienced backups coming back, and usually uh, you know that'll indicate a good football team. Uh, Chris Scruggs, who, who basically was a redshirt last year, a receiver. I think he's somebody that could uh, maybe help fill some of the uh, uh, fill some of the receptions that that Quez Watkins leaves behind. I think he can kind of fill in a little bit there. He's a little bit bigger receiver, a little taller. I think on the outside he'll probably have the ball thrown his way some. Uh, you have Tim Jones on the inside and Jalen Adams, who was one of the better return men return men slash receivers in the nation a year ago. He's back at receiver, so there are some you know weapons there on offense. But in terms of first year guys, I think there's just a lot to be determined in the secondary. You'll see some first guys step up there, but really it's hard to say who it who it will be at at positions like corner because they've just got so much really to work on going into the fall. Certainly makes sense based on what. Coach Hobson's been able to accomplish the last couple of years, um, a few sort of mediocre seasons, a few years where they 
were just on the cusp of breaking into the conference championship game and just fell a little bit short. Uh, what's kind of the feeling from fans that you noticed regarding uh, Hobson, his body of work, and his you know potential future of holding down his position as head coach of Southern Miss football? Yeah, I mean, I think people are a little bit restless. Uh, you know, you haven't heard many people really bash Hobson in, in this calendar year, but I think people have been distracted with a, a long list of things. There's there's greater concerns right now than college football, so I think it's kind of quieted down in that regard. Uh, but the end of last year in, in the bowl game where they lost to Tulane, gave up an early lead, kind of fell apart. Uh, the team really played poorly down the stretch. I think it was three straight losses to finish out the season whenever they were, you know, looking pretty good at seven and two. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good situation right now. It's, you feel like momentum has stalled somewhat. I mean, that can easily change in a hurry where they kind of get out and get rolling this year and against South Alabama and play well early in the season. Uh, but yeah, I, right now I think people are a little bit antsy. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it, you know, I'm not going to say Hobson's on the hot seat, but I think we're kind of trending in that direction just because the the team hasn't really met the bar you know, of success that people expect out of Southern Miss football around the program. So I, I think the, uh, the focus kind of goes up this year in that they want to see Hobson deliver and get, at the very least get in that conference title game. They certainly have pieces in place to experience. Uh, but this, this is a year to where Hobson really has to step up and, and uh, really get this team at least to maybe that eight to nine win mark. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, obviously people have had bigger priorities than football in this first uh, half of 2020. Um, and based on your kind of observations of what's going on with the players, with the coaching staff, with the athletic department in general, what's sort of the vibe at Southern Miss right now with just everything happening in the world? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I know you all had me on here to talk uh, football in Southern Miss, but I've been covering, you know, as soon as I'm done with the interview here, I'm covering the governor's press conference. Uh, it's, 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 you know, I don't have a great feel for the vibe. I think every everything's just been kind of a standstill. I think everybody's just kind of waiting to see how things play out. Uh, you know, players have reported the campus here, the first week of June and, uh, in Hattiesburg and they're, you know, they're scanning players to make sure nobody's, you know, uh, dealing with the coronavirus and, and so far they've, and last I checked, they had no positive tests or anything like that, but they weren't. Uh, testing every player that comes in they were just monitoring players who've shown symptoms uh so it's it's at, at southern miss right now i think it's the same as it is anywhere else right now they just you know uh what you know when they when can they line up and what's it going to look like whenever they get into the stadium and, and open on september 5th against south alabama if they can in fact can do that so i think there's just everything's kind of at a standstill uh as far as southern miss goes and everywhere else one last question here before I turn it over to Mr. Eric Henry. Um, obviously, one of the things that I've been impressed with um, with Coach Hobson just in general has been his recruiting. Who's something, uh, rather, who's a, a player in this signing class that uh, you think is going to be able to make um, a good impact, maybe not immediately, but uh, down the line for, for Southern Miss? Uh <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I you know, I mentioned Ragsdale earlier mm -hmm. uh, when you asked a similar question. Uh, he's an impact guy, I would think, right away uh, in terms of, you know, immediate success. In mm -hmm. terms, I would think he's probably one of their top two running backs. Uh, you know, Frank Gore Jr. has been a popular name to talk about amongst other Miss fans. He's, you know, obviously Frank Gore's son and was uh, committed to FAU at one point. 
uh, how quickly he can get outfield remains to be seen. Uh, you know, you go down the, the list, and to me there wasn't a lot of impact guys right away, but I think to where you may see the most impact uh, uh, is that receiver where you have a Jason Brownlee out of East Mississippi. Uh, he's pretty well regarded, and they need some needed some depth there on the outside in addition to Chris Scruggs, who didn't get a whole lot of playing time a year ago. It's really, you know, uh, replacing Quez Watkins is going to be really tough. And one thing, if you go back and look at the list of uh, uh, recruits that Southern Miss signed this year, I mean, it's heavy, heavy, heavy on junior colleges. So if those guys can't get in and play immediately, you know, they, they sign the wrong guy. So I, in terms of, like, long-term projection, heck, I don't know. I guess Frank Gore Jr., maybe he's a, a, a big star. Uh, but right now they really tried to make this class uh, all about the JUCO and trying to get a, a quick fix because they know this is a team that can have a chance to play for a conference championship, and, and Hobson knows patience is wearing thin a little bit. So, Patrick, I want to jump in here and come back to the quarterback, Jack Abraham, for a second. One of the things that's noticeable to me is that he's through no fault of his own. He's going to be playing for his third offensive coordinator. Is going from yeah. Shannon Dawson, Buster Faulkner, and now Matt Kubik. Uh, so kind of a two-part question there. One, one of the differences uh, that was noticeable, at least to me, going from Dawson to Faulkner, was it seemed that under Buster Faulkner, they tend to push the ball down for a little bit more. Just wonder if, if that is something that you uh, anticipate. And obviously, you know, without a spring, you didn't have a chance to see any, any practices or anything like that. But if that's something that you anticipate to continue. And just overall, you know, a quarterback playing with three offensive coordinators, that's, that's never easy. Yeah, that's, that's – uh, you feel bad for Jack because, I mean, he had a – He's had three different offensive coordinators at Southern Miss. He had one at JUCO, and he had a different one at Louisiana Tech. So he's had like six offensive coordinators in six years. If you go back to his senior of, of high school, so that's a that's 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 a little bit unique. Uh, he's he's had got a larger collection of offensive coordinators have the most, but yeah, I mean that's that's not easy. Uh, it's it's set up to kind of you know. It, you feel like Jack's kind of been at a standstill to a degree since he got to Southern Miss. Last year, you really saw, saw some flashes of brilliance. If you go back and watch the Troy game where he just – he and that receiving core just lit him up. And then you'll kind of turn around against Louisiana Tech and have a letdown where you have a good half and then a bad half. And it comes down to – it's not so much on Jack and his development. It's just the overall development of the offense. So I think Jack's really kind of hung in there and done a pretty good job and tried to learn from – uh, coordinator coordinator but really the rest of the offense hasn't been able to keep up as well as they should uh just you know from whether it's the offensive line or just the you know running backs trying to understand you know what's expected of them and, and where they're going to fit in the offense so I think that's just that the problem is has been the uncertainty for the personnel across the board is that uh they, they they're not quite sure where they fit in from year to year over the last three seasons so uh it's it's developing an identity and, and trying to build that build up that rushing attack and uh that just hasn't been able to happen in the last two years we've talked a lot about quez watkins but obviously with his departure someone's got to step up into the roles filling the uh, number one receiver role as well as number two talk a little about tim jones and jalen adams you mentioned that troy game and i remember that jalen adams i believe he had 11 catches for 180 yards that day uh just talk about right. those two guys and how they'll be able to step up and fill the absence of quez watkins yeah, I mean, I think uh, Tim Jones is NFL receiver. Uh, do he's he's from Biloxi, so he's a kid I've watched ever since seen ever since the freshman in high school, and it was obvious that he was just uh, just heads and you know shoulders above everybody else, and he had pretty good uh, recruiting interest out of high school, but ended up at Southern Miss. Uh, he's a 
he's a guy that works out of the slot. And uh, but he can really work all the field. It wouldn't surprise me if they moved him around a little bit this year. And that Jalen Adams, he's that return guy slash. You know, uh, he, to me, he's more of a slot, but he's worked outside just because Jones has been so effective there. But uh, Adams is a guy as long as he's healthy. He was banged up in last year, and and they kind of missed him out there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Jalen Adams and Tim Jones are probably one of the you know uh, two of the best you know six or seven receivers in the league. Uh, so Southern Miss isn't hurting at receiver. It's just really finding that one co- go-to guy on the outside, and it's probably going to have to be a first-year guy like a, a Brownlee or a Scruggs. We talked about Drake Dorbeck getting the majority of the public of, of the of the pub, but you know, an offensive line, obviously, rightfully so. And now he's continuing with an NFL career. Uh, Want to talk about a guy who's been a three-year starter, entering his fourth year here, maybe going a little bit under the radar, and Arvin Fletcher. Just talk about his presence, right. you know, being essentially a starter from day one. Yeah, and he's a guy that can basically play every position on the line. And I think there's a decent chance he may be the starting left tackle replacing uh, Dorbeck there on the outside. Uh, Fletcher was, you know, kind of overlooked coming out of high school, but as soon as he got to Southern Miss, it was pretty obvious he was going to be an impact guy. Uh, but he's, you know, he's played mostly on the inside, at, you know, at guard, uh, but he's perfectly capable, capable playing outside. I think he's more natural to guard. But I think they need a steady hand there at left tackle, and Fletcher may end up being their best guy there. So Fletcher is absolutely – he's been probably the most consistent offensive lineman they've had the last few years. But that's been a unit that's been kind of aligned where they haven't been able to create much space in the the ground game. Uh, But Fletcher is probably their best uh, rush blocker. So uh, Fletcher Fletcher is a good player, and I think he also has a chance to play in the NFL as as probably a, a right guard. We've talked a lot about it, but the offense, but we want to go to the defensive side of football for a second here. And just you mentioned that Southern Miss, you know, they're going to play defense well. They've got two guys in particular who I think are, are uh, you know, really solid players, one being Kyle Hemby and the uh, the other one being Jacquez Turner. But just outside of those guys, or excuse me, could you talk about those two guys for a second? And then maybe outside of those two guys, who else we should be looking for on the defensive side of the football? Yeah, Jacquez is another guy I've seen since uh, high school days. He's a uh, he's a defensive end. He's a little not not the tallest. He's six one, but he's a big, strong guy. Really, really good ath- athlete. Has long arms. Uh, is able to get in the backfield. Last year was a little underwhelming. He really had a big sophomore year, uh, but it's it's one of those things to where he's going to have to uh, step it up and really kind of have a big season to improve his stock when it comes to the NFL this year. Uh, uh, Jacquez is one of the better defensive linemen in the league. He just didn't always show it last season. And Hemby is another guy that took a slight step back uh, last season after having a really nice sophomore year after transferring after one year at JUCO. He's kind of a ball hawker, uh, uh, really is able to kind of uh, chase down stuff in the open field and uh, uh, and pick off some interceptions. Uh, uh, Swayze Bozeman, uh, he's going to have to be big at linebacker because Rakeem Boost is a little bit of a question mark. Uh, he had surgery uh, towards the end of his uh, junior season, and, and he's really been the centerpiece of that defense uh, for a while now. So it's, it's you know, it, it, they need Bozeman to step up and have a big season because right now it's, it's unsure if Booth is going to be ready to go. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody's hoping that he's kind of taken all the steps in rehab now to be ready for the upcoming season because he's, he's really been a key part of that defense for the last three years. So, uh, Rakeem Booth and his status is really one thing that people are going to be watching close, closely going in, but it, it may fall to a Swayze Bozeman, who I thought had a really productive junior season out of junior college. And final question here for you before I pass it back to Joe. Uh, this part where I like to go inside the press box a little bit. 
Uh, Two-part question here for you. One, what's your favorite CUSA, excuse me, your favorite CUSA city that you visited outside of Hattiesburg? And the second part of that question, uh, what's the best press box meal that you've had that comes to mind? Uh, let me see. I, I got to think over that one for a second. I, I, I like going to Huntington. It was kind of a unique trip, a little bit different than the other ones. You know, you're kind of uh, going up into Appalachia. You don't really get that experience elsewhere. Uh, so Huntington, in terms of its uniqueness, I, I think that's a neat place. Uh, I've had a good time in Houston. Uh, obviously, that's a good place to get uh, get something to eat. And I'm, I'm, I'm still... Uh, uh, really sad that New Orleans Tulane is no longer in Conference USA. That was always a great stop, El Paso. But uh, the best meal, uh, I, I could go old school. Whenever Memphis was in Conference USA, they had that rendezvous barbecue up in the press box, and that was good stuff. Uh, everywhere, everywhere is pretty standard right now in terms of food uh, in the press box. So everybody's kind of scaled back. So I'm going to give everybody Fs in that regard. No, I'll definitely agree with you there. I know it, uh, at FIU the first year, there things were a little more catered towards the South Florida culture. And now we're, you know, kind of scaled back to the uh, pizza and fries, which, hey, it's a free meal. I'm not complaining on that end. And um, obviously with you being CUSA West, you've got most of those stops. One uh, a stadium that I, uh, that I will swear by, and it's probably a city as a whole, is Charlotte. Um, Charlotte kind of surprised me is, is how, uh, how scenic that campus was. And especially Jerry Richardson Stadium, just kind of it's a – Kind of like a high school stadium in the field, you know, really unique and intimate. So that one yeah. was a, a pretty good stop there. Yeah, I like Bowling Green. It's a neat little uh, town, and their campus is very pretty up at Western Kentucky. That's I thought. I thought they were kind of maybe unique in that it was a pretty. You know, it's it's a sizable town, but it's a college town. They've got a good vibe there on campus. Got to love Bowling Green as a uh, Western Kentucky fan and a, and a Kentucky person myself. So I'm sure they appreciate the kind words about the town. We'll uh, we'll take that into account next time you come around. Um, but Patrick, once again, can't thank you enough for your time, man. And for those listening, if you want to go check out his Southern Miss coverage, um, highly encourage you to do that. He is on Twitter at Patrick underscore McGee, M-A-G-E-E. And uh, you can find his coverage at sunherald.com. Uh, Pat, can't thank you enough once again, man, and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. All right. Once again, thank you to Patrick McGee of the Sun-Herald for coming on and talking to us. Highly encourage you to check out his Southern Miss coverage. And once again, his Twitter was uh, at Patrick underscore McGee, M-A-G-E-E. Um, so after all that talk about Southern Miss, do you want to jump into some notes from around the conference um, that I'm sure the uh, majority of our audience would be interested in? Uh, first off, UTEP trying to figure out their quarterback situation for next season and um, Bowling Green State baseball's loss uh, looks to be the minors gain. Uh, it was a three-star recruit in high school, ran a lot of the spread option, but uh, minor fans are going to get to know the name Mike Malowitz. Um, sounds like he is going to try out for both quarterback and slot receiver, at least according to the good folks over at the hustle belt. Um, yeah, it seems like basically they're trying to fill in that hole that uh, that Kyle Loxley left as he tries to make the NFL happen. But um, yeah, Eric, it, for me, this is uh, it's a it's a good story. Obviously, the COVID situation has um, dramatically affected uh, college athletics opportunities for a lot of athletes, both in football and outside. Obviously, so uh, a good on UTEP for giving this kid another shot at uh, achieving his athletics dreams, and two. Um, 
I haven't watched a ton of film on it other than obviously this kid has uh, a lot of athletic ability. You have to in order to run uh, kind of the, the spread option and be a two-sport athlete. Um, but what do you kind of know about Mike Malowitz and the dimension that he could potentially add to the Miners' offense? Yeah, first things first, Joe, is like you said, just an awesome story that the kid gets a chance to continue his college education. I believe Bowling Green did say that they'd offer some of the scholarships. Uh, for those of you, Joe, you know this being familiar with college baseball. For, for the audience who may not be familiar, mm-hmm. not the entire college baseball team is on scholarship. A lot of those guys are on partials or paying a portion of their way. But I believe that uh, his scholarship would have been offered anyhow. But just for a chance for him to go and continue his his dream playing college athletics is really cool. But in terms of him on the football field, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, he's someone who is kind of a that would have been coming out as a three-star, like a dual-threat type quarterback. So it's not really sure how he's going to play into the offense. The big takeaway that I get from that is, A, Dana Dimmel is just like, hey, I welcome competition any and everywhere as we're trying to get this thing rebuilt and, and you know get this program in the right direction. But the second thing is – and it's a two-part thing. I'm going to bounce this off of you, Joe. I <laughs> that'd be a hell of an indictment on you know the players they have there currently. Uh, one being Gavin Hardison, the other being T.J. Goodwin. If you know Mike Malowitz comes in there and wins the job, uh, that's the first thing. But the second thing is that UTEP really has to develop an identity. For the past two years, we've talked about it, whether it's been Kyle Oxley rotating in and out. And it's always been Loxley as the dual threat. And then either last year, Ryan Metz, and now kind of Gavin Hardison as kind of that classic drop back passer. So I really think that offense needs to develop an identity and say, hey, if we're not going to play two different quarterbacks who do two different things and we're just going to try to start one and go the entire way, they've got to figure out what they're going to do as far as being, you know, that uh, that maybe traditional passing attack or if they're going to try to use someone like Kyle Ox, who's a dual threat, who kind of fits more in the scheme of Malowitz. Uh, based on like how UTEP's offense performs last year like do you think that this is going to be a noticeable performance or are the other pieces within this offense going to have to significantly chip in regardless of who they get at quarterback what do you think no most definitely i mean one of the things that had given me at least a little bit of optimism as far as utep last year was we all know we have the running back trayvon hughes who graduated but they also had quadres wadley who probably would have been the starter trayvon hughes would have been the change of pace back However, Quadres Rodley, uh, I believe, tore his ACL around this time last year, so he missed all last season. Getting him back and then getting the three-star recruit, uh, I believe he's a native of El Paso, Deion Hankins, having him uh, in tow as the running back position as well. So that'll help. But the major thing, Joe, is uh, just the receiver position. You know, I, I know they've got Justin Garrett. Uh, I believe Walter Don Jr., if my memory serves me correct, was their leading receiver last year, and he transferred out. He entered the transfer portal. Uh, I'll go back and check my notes to make sure I got the right name there. So it's really going to take a group effort as far as, you know, kind of supporting the quarterback position. One of the things I did, Joe, you know, since I've had plenty of time during the uh, downtime with, you know, kind of COVID-19 and everything being you know, shut down, is I just went back and tried to watch a football game from each CUSA team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I did say Walter Dom, but I think Trishon Wolf was the guy I was referring to who transferred out, the receiver. But when I had a chance to watch UTEP last year, Joe, you and I on this podcast, you know, we kind of talk about Kyle Oxley's inconsistencies, but when you look at them and you actually watch a game, it's not all him, you know, and you can say the same thing about any quarterback, right? You know, they get too much blame when they lose and too much credit when you win, but it definitely isn't just a quarterback situation down there in El Paso. 
Definitely not. And you mentioned the receiver situation. The possibility for Malowitz to play receiver is absolutely still there. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, but uh, it could be the start of something for uh, Dana Dimmel's minors as they approach the 2020 season. And uh, speaking of Dana Dimmel, that's a good transition into what we wanted to talk about next. Athlon Sports released their list of the top coaches in CUSA heading into uh, 2020. And uh, unfortunately for Coach Dimmel, he is at the bottom at number four. 14. Um, just running through the order real quick, you have uh, UTEP at the bottom with Dimmel uh, at number 13, UTSA and Coach Jeff Trailer. Uh, number 12, Ricky Rain at Old Dominion. Number 11, uh, Coach Mike Bloomgren at Rice. Uh, 10, Coach Jay Hobson, who we just talked to Patrick McGee about at Southern Miss. Number 9, Tyson Helton from uh, Western. 8, Willie Tetnard at FAU. Seven is uh, Rich Stockstill from MTSU. Six is Seth Luttrell. Five is Will Healy from Charlotte. Four, Doc Holliday. Three, Skip Holtz. Two, uh, our good friend, Coach Butch Davis. And uh, number one, uh, Bill Clark from UAB. Uh, my A couple initial thoughts from me on this list. A, Helton's way too low, and you can call that bias or, or whatever, but even with only having one season as a head coach under his belt, I I feel like they're really discounting the um, massive shift in culture that he instituted following the Mike Sanford era and what he's been able to do in such a short time there. Um Two, I, there's definitely a few things that I would have skipped, um, I, or I would have flipped around, rather. Um, I appreciate Skip Holtz being so high, and I probably would have had him at number two. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough. I probably would have had... It's it's tough because I feel like they're basing this on like the program's potential and not necessarily the coach's abilities as a whole. I think a like if you just look at like the overall experience and what uh, he's been able to uh, do over the course of his career, I probably would have had him at one. Um, and then uh, Coach Holtz, based on his collective record at Louisiana Tech and taking them to so many consecutive bowl games. Um, and then I would have had coach Clark in there personally, but, um, that's not really a knock on him. I just think the collective body of work, um, of those other two guys is a little bit more impressive. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's basically kind of my thought. I do think that, um, having the, um, issues with the, the three Texas schools of UTF, uh, <laughs> UTF, UTF, <laughs> Jesus Christ, UTEP, UTSA, and uh, Rice deserve to be towards the bottom, obviously, and Ricky Rain a little bit unproven. So I think that's kind of fair to put him at the bottom. But uh, what do you think? I feel like the basically my main complaint is I feel like they're basing this on the potential of the team and not necessarily the ability of these coaches as a whole. Well, I completely agree with you as far as Tyson Helton. And here's one of the things that I found curious, right? Because Tyson Helton got the slot at nine, but then you look at five and you see Will Healy. And I almost feel like you're talking about two coaches who did virtually the same thing in terms of changing the culture with the program overnight and turning them into a winner. Now, it really plays into your point about are they taking into account the, the program potential, right? And I mean, if you ask me personally, Yes, uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast knows I'm as big a, a fan of the Charlotte program as anyone else. And I do think there's a lot of potential starting with, you know, the stadium and the facilities all the way through to the coach and the environment. But 
I, I, I don't know if it's because in the first line, Will Healy's blurb here, it says at age 35. I don't know if they're taking into account that Will Healy's 35 or, or, or what, but I mean, I would think if you're going to, you know, move Will Healy in one year in conference over a Seth Luttrell, even a Rick Stockstill or, or a Willie Taggart, then, you know, you got to give Tyson Helton the same bump. I found the cluster of Taggart eight, uh, Stockstill seven, Seth Luttrell six kind of kind of interesting. I'm not sure if my memory serves me correct. I be, believe Coach Luttrell was like three or four last year. So, you know, they're also taking into account the drop off that North Texas had. I I am a I'm a Rick Stockstill guy. I mean, I, I think at this point it's easy to rank him seven because you can say, I mean, well, he's been there now 15 years and you kind of have an idea of what he is. So you don't get the the boom or bust idea that you could kind of get with Coach Healy. Right. So I think that raises an interesting point as well. And then up at the top, you know, and, and oh, hold on really quick before I finish that. I feel like you can make the same argument with Doc Holliday that, that you just said, or I just mentioned with Rick Stockstill. So that's why I found that seating kind of curious. And then, you know, like I said, one through, one through three, Bill Clark, I'm fine with Bill Clark at one. I get where you're kind of hinting at as far as, listen, no one's going to take anything away from the job that he's done with UAB as far as rebuilding that program from scratch. However, if you look, take into account the whole body of work, you probably are going to go Butch Davis and Skip Holtz above him. And, you know, you can take into account my biases or however you want to you call them as far as having a Coach Davis there. I, I think with Butch, the main thing is wherever he goes, the talent level increases. And I think people tend to forget. I don't have the number directly off the top of my head. I have it somewhere in my notes. And I'm sure I've written it somewhere in a piece for UDD. But FIU was not a good program in the – 13, 14 years, let's see, this is year 18 for FIU. So in the 14 years prior, uh, FIU had only had two winning records, if my memory serves me correct. I believe that a winning percentage of something like under 30%. So the fact that he's taken the program to three straight bowl games does, you know, if you want to take into account his tenure in CUSA and his overall tenure as a head coach, you can make the argument for him at one. But uh, overall, I mean, like I said, I, I don't, I guess the only real major gripe I would have would be Tyson Helton nine. I, I think he could have gotten a bump higher. Yeah. All very good points. And like I mentioned, I feel like this is not necessarily taking into account the collective bodies of work of all of these coaches. So um, you could make the argument that uh, this, this list probably could have uh, used a little more TLC, but at the same time, completely understand where Athlon sports is coming from in this with the fact that it's the off season there's not really any other sports going on we all need content it's it's you know it is what it is but um certainly an interesting point of discussion for college sports fans as we continue to kill time in quarantine here um finally um one thing that we wanted to talk about here florida signing into law a new bill um that basically will um give athletes the ability to make money off of their image and likeness in the same vein that all these other states are, are trying to make happen but basically this is going to go into effect a full 18 months earlier than the laws that are uh, currently being passed in in california and colorado uh this one would take um this one would start on july 1st 2021 so uh florida i feel like if you if you can give them credit for one thing they're they're definitely usually on the cutting edge of making sure that college athletics 
are doing the right things in order to a be as profitable as possible and b i feel like they they do a decent job of making sure that athletes are in as good a spot as they can be from a welfare welfare perspective because they're they know that they know how much revenue for the state sports generates and they want to make sure that those those athletes at both the pro level and college level are happy so i really have no problem with this and um i feel like it's going to be interesting for florida to once again be america's uh petri dish and and do a little test of how this is really going to work for all of us well if it's one thing we're good at down here it's being america's guinea pig you know you uh, you can definitely try it out on us down here first and we will let you know how it goes uh you know not too much to add on to what you just said i mean quick thoughts you know i I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out you and i can probably save our elongated thoughts for another podcast but It'll be interesting to see how it plays out the G5 level. I, I see, you know, I've seen some things about FAU or FIU, how they can capitalize on this. The uh, governor, Ron DeSantis, actually came out and said that he uh, would like to see more kids stay in state. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But it's just one of those things that I, I think on a further podcast, we can elongate and, and go more on that. But, yeah, Florida, we will be your guinea pig. And uh, you can try it out on us first. <laughs> gotta love you florida um so once again thank you all for listening um once again can't thank you enough for uh, the continued support of the show and we're going to continue to do uh, as good a job as we can given the circumstances with everything and uh real quick before we wrap up just wanted to say to everybody out there hope you are staying safe staying well it's a weird time to live in the u.s and just be a person on earth um so thank you so much once again and just hope you're happy and, and living as good a life as you can um follow us on twitter at underdog dynasty uh, i'm at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore uh, eric is at eric c henry underscore uh we'll talk to you very soon and once again thank you to patrick mcgee for joining us today and uh hopefully we'll have more uh writers of his incredible caliber on the show very soon uh talk to you soon everybody happy football watching. 